this was before there was a manager. So my boss came in with checks written out to each one of the team members. There was probably eight of us on the team at that point, maybe 10 and handed us all an envelope with a check in it. He, it was sealed and we're kind of looking, it's morning huddle. We're like, it's not payday. Why are we getting a check? We just thought, well, this is strange. He says, open it up. It was a $500 check inside made out to me and every person on the team. And he said, if we double our new patients this month, you can take this to the bank on the first of the next month. So on the first of the month, he came in with this check and we had till the, you know, the end of the month to hit that goal. And if he had come in there and said, we need to, I want to see us double our new patients. We, I, I pretty much in my mind thought that's impossible. There's no way we can't do that. But paired with, here's the check. You can have it. It's yours. If, your hands. If, exactly. That was very impactful for me. That brought all kinds of ideas for me to get buy-in from team members. Hi, Kristen. Hey, how are you doing, Tiger? I'm doing phenomenal. I couldn't wait to, to have this interview with you. Uh, ever since we got connected over the email, when John referred me to you and said, work with Kristen, I got really excited for a couple of reasons. Okay. Uh, first is at the bottom of your email, there's a really interesting quote from a person that I would like for you to mention and, and, and say what the quote is and why did you put it there? And then from a second standpoint, I learned your story a little bit, especially when we met in person. Mm -hmm. And you said, when you said that you were a dental assistant, and now you're a vice president of field operations of Lightwave. That just that just blew my mind. I said, I really want to sit down and, and have a chance to interview you so that people can hear your story. And so this is kind of my short uh, introduction of you. Uh, so for everybody, this is Kristen. She's the vice president of operations at Lightwave. Lightwave is an amazing company. We just went to the launch event um, in uh, North Carolina, and then my team went to, to the one in Richmond. And we just love being part of it. It was amazing. The atmosphere was electrifying and everybody was involved from doctors till your um, associate, not associate doctors, but the doctor's owners of the Pardon practices. Doctors? So, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so it was a lot of fun. But I want to start more with you. And, and again, if you don't mind, can you, can you talk us through uh, what the quote is in your email and sure. why is it important for you? I'm happy that you noticed that. It's been my uh, slogan, I would say, for probably the last six years. Once I found it, I knew that was the one to live by. It has uh, worked well for me in my career. Um, it's by Mother Teresa, and it's, we shall never know all the good a simple smile can do. And in dentistry, that seems fitting, but I also know in my experience that a smile can break down walls and barriers that nothing else can. Um, before you speak or meet someone, a smile on your face will quickly disarm the other person. And so I quickly realized for me, that was going to be my calling card, that when people thought of me, they were going to think of a cheery, happy, smiling disposition and not someone that was intimidating or scary or depressed. <laughs> smiles smiles um, make us more beautiful. That's amazing. How do you balance that with, uh, keeping, not even keeping, but having a role like a vice president. So how do you balance, you know, this smile, open hearted person with, I mean, I don't want to say demanding, right. But, but asking people or ha having accountability. Sure. I've also realized really quickly that you can't make anyone do anything. 
but you can get their buy-in and lead them into making good decisions. And so almost to a fault, I do try to get the buy-in of my team personally that I support and others so that we can move projects and agendas more quickly um, with a good why and the buy-in with the team behind you. You don't have to be firm and dictatorish. Um, meeting people where they are and helping them come to their own realization about what's needed has been my biggest wins or um, some of the biggest you know things I've accomplished in my life. I've never been able to do anything alone. I've always worked well building a team of people that move together because we all move together and we want to, not because we have to. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us a little bit about your story? So since you mentioned you, you, that's how you've been throughout your life, can you walk us through from the beginning like your, of your professional career? Sure. So I was, it's um, a story that I don't know how many people out there will recognize or um, have this experience, but I found myself in high school pregnant. And I am thankful to say that I'm still currently married to my high school sweetheart. We will be married 24 years this uh, October. And um, but that start was a very rocky start. You know, a lot of condemnation in high school and in my own self doubts of how am I ever going to be accomplish anything. And I quickly checked my thoughts and said, this isn't going to hold me back. Actually, this can accelerate my growth. Um, so I decided to go to work immediately soon as I had my daughter, went to work in high school for the dental office that I worked for for 21 years before joining Lightwave. Um, I stayed with that practice. I knew in high school that I wanted to be a hygienist one day. And so even though I was a high school mom, I still decided that I needed to pursue that dream. And so I went to work as a dental assistant in high school, went after school to work with them. And then as I graduated high school, I, um, quickly became, you know, onboarded as a dental assistant because I had shadowed and, and done the work uh, without necessarily wanting reward for it. I was just happy to be there and being taught. Um, so I, I did receive the job right out of high school. And from there, it took me, and I've had this conversation with a lot of assistants. I'll, I'll tell you the bigger picture. I ended up having a total of 150 team members. You'll notice I don't say employees, I say team members. 150 team members and about 15 doctors underneath my leadership as president and COO of that company coming from sterilization assistant all the way up from one practice to building them to six. Um, but in my experience as the dental assistant, that two years, I felt like I was learning a new language. And that's how I explain it to a lot of people. I was very frustrated. I wrote a letter to God saying, if this isn't what you want for me, God, please find the career path that is for me. I was just thinking to myself, Dentistry is so hard. I'm a new mom. I'm trying to be, you know, a wife and I'm trying to learn how to have a career. And I remember feeling like a failure several times in that two year period. And then when I got to the two year period, I started to feel really good about what I had learned. I could speak the language of dentistry. I was able to think ahead of my doctor by that point. And one of the things that got me to the next step outside of dental assisting was I was always willing to say yes and do what no one else was willing to do. I didn't stand in the lab waiting on the doctor to come check my patient and chat about, you know, whatever to my team member next to me. I was always working. I was doing instruments. And I know this resonates with a lot of team members out there, but you know, the ones that don't and wait for everybody else to do the work. That was not me. I knew very quickly that I wanted to be an asset, not just to my boss, but to my team. And that was for me, uh, the bigger picture of 
um, success because I had my teams buy in that I was worthy and ready for the next step of growth. So I became the, the um, supply orderer. <laughs> I don't know, whatever, supply coordinator. Um, no raise for that. Just said, yes, I will. Anything that they threw in front of me, I said yes to. And one of the things that I know for sure my boss really, as the dentist, really enjoyed about me, he told me, I would do the little details that no one else thought to do. I would learn to think ahead of him. Um, and not just passing an instrument, but laying out his gloves on the counter so that when he walked into the room, he could quickly not have to fight the gloves. Everything for me was about efficiency. And he didn't ask me to do that. He just saw in me that I was always wanting to make sure everything was running smoothly and efficiently. And so he started asking me to take on more special projects. In the state of Alabama, I had the opportunity to go through the hygiene program. So I realized that is special in the state of Alabama. He sponsored my schooling. I worked as um, in a preceptorship program underneath him. I passed the same state boards that, you know, all other hygiene has to pass. But I got that opportunity because I was going above and beyond. And um, so from there, I went on to become a hygienist. I was a hygienist for seven years. Within two years, I was lead. Again, that was the same transition. Two years feeling like I should have stayed an assistant. Hygiene is so hard. I can't get that subgenual calculus as fast as I want to or like the hygienist beside me. And I was feeling defeated in that two year period that, man, maybe I'm maybe I'm just not cut out for this. But I never stopped. I persevered. I didn't let those thoughts in my head keep me from achieving goals. And I just kept coming back day after day and getting a little better and a little faster and stronger. And then I became his best treatment case acceptance hygienist. So he wanted me to be the lead hygienist for the department. Now, granted, there's other hygienists that are much more seasoned, had been there a lot longer, but they may not have been willing to go above and beyond and do the extra. I would work through lunch, calling on patients that needed crowns that didn't schedule because I, not because of the production, but because I cared about that patient and I wanted them to get the treatment taken care of. He saw all of those things without really even having a title in leadership. And within about, I want to say nine years in, two years as an assistant, seven years as a hygienist at nine years, he asked me if I would become the manager of our practice, which, which was 12 ops, him and his wife were the dentists. Um, and I got scared at that point. I wasn't sure that I wanted to do that because as a seven year hygienist, I was very efficient. I had my patients that loved me. It was hard work. I was exhausted physically at the end of the day, but I went home feeling rewarded and I was happy. I wasn't looking for any more growth. So I went home and talked to my husband about, all right, he's, he's wanting to have a manager now. I don't know that I can, um, I don't know that I can be a manager. You know, I think I'm, I think I'm happy where I am. I'm happy with my pay. My husband told me, the sky's the limit for you. You're a natural leader. He said, just ask him if it doesn't work out, can you go back to hygiene? And so I did that. I said, can we partner in that? If I am not the right fit as a manager, I can have my hygiene spot back. <laughs> and the rest is history from there. It didn't, we didn't slow down. Um, I replaced my position in the offices. You know, another hygienist came in and, and then I started to lead the office. Within six months, he told me his vision of growing. So I was building a 22-op practice after six months of managing an office for the first time ever. Um, and we acquired a practice, 12-op practice. So within six months of being a leader, I had three offices and my bookkeeper quit because she couldn't handle 
the extra flow. Well, guess what? Then I had to learn to be a bookkeeper, but I never said no. That's, that's kind of the key takeaway. I want to keep reiterating every time I wanted to give up, run, felt like a failure, thought I was never going to get it. I continued to press on and I ended up finding the, uh, the most amazing bookkeeper, but it also taught me a lot about keeping books for the company of now three offices. And so in that period, we continued to build offices, de novos, um, all very large practices. Um, and then around COVID, we decided to stop adding more locations and expand the hours. And uh, it was about a, maybe a year before uh, COVID hit, but we went from Monday um, to Thursday and half day Fridays to working Monday through Saturday, 7.30 to 7.30. I was able to get the team behind that idea with buy-in building a structure of three working three 11 hour shifts but still being paid for 40 working three days a week getting four days with their family but still making the same they had always made and they loved it they wanted it one office got it the next wanted it and so i continued to have an impact building a structure of an expanded schedule based on what i if i was them you know what would be comfortable to me and how can we make this a win-win and so i built that for the company and that leads me to um I would say probably at that point in my career, I was comfortable, but I was busy bored. I was starting to feel like I had built this company and the team around me that had stayed with me and grown up in the company. And they were all doing their job so well. And everyone was reporting to me and everybody knew the answers. They just liked to have my you know, stamp on it. But that wasn't fulfilling. Once we stopped really growing, I started to feel anxious again. Now, knowing that two year gap for me and knowing that, you know, I was finally comfortable. I was, you know, I had a great team around me and we were profitable. Um, it was, it was a little scary to think about taking a leap of faith into a different direction. I had ownership in the company, president, COO. I had really gone all the way to the top and I could have stayed there forever. And I love that company and I still do. There's amazing people that work there. I call it college. Uh, when I let my boss know that I think it's time for me to go off to college, um, I did not go looking for the job. Um, Lightwave did find me. And again, I wanted to say no because it was scary. I know how drama and, you know, uh, bad cultures can be. And I had built a really strong, good culture under my leadership that I knew I would have very little control over that coming into a bigger organization. And when I interviewed with John Dima, I'm pretty sure he's done a, a podcast with you before. I asked him, how do you keep the culture in a, in a company this size? Because that's very important to me. And he said events. And you got to experience that. And when he said that, I thought, okay, I hear you. I mean, I hope you're right. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this leap of faith because I really want to continue to grow. And then when I got here, I really did see that the events are what really bind us together and build the relationships we need to be able to move and get in the trenches and bleed together, honestly, on the day-to-day -day operations. And so in 11 months, I've been with Lightwave for 11 months now. I've had the same two-year gap, that feeling of, oh, I'm so frustrated. I just want to know every doctor, every everything about this company. I'm working around the clock to try to build my knowledge so that I can better support my team building the infrastructure needed to continue to grow this company because they are a growth company and that excites me. Um, so as I'm sitting here talking to you today, I'm in that two year period again of feeling like, man, I'm ready for that two, the two years to be over because I've grown so many times. I know exactly 
how long it takes me to get really, really comfortable and to really, you know, bring the, t- the type of impact I'm used to bringing for growth. So um, with all of that said, that's where I stand today. I'm within that two year period and it's still scary out here on this limb, but I'm confident I joined the right group and the right company. And um, the team that I support are amazing women that really, you know, don't need handholding. They're, they're all very comfortable um, with their regions. That's what I do for the company. I support the regional directors of our fully supported offices. And I'm there for them when they need me, but I'm also there to make their lives easier, whether they know it or not. I'm constantly working in the background to try to make things more smooth of a process for the future for, for us and our team and our practices that we support. Wow. That was a lot. So much to un- <laughs> There's so much to unpack here. Uh, first, I want to just get my numbers together. After hygiene, when you accepted the role of being the manager, how long did it take you until you left? I was in like, management, uh, started as director of operations, then became um, operations manager, then became COO, then became COO president. So there were steps in that. I want to say it was about 10 years of growth and every step there was a two year gap as well. You know, I never really, <laughs> but then when I got to the it president, like the COO, job for 10 years. right. When I got to the president COO and I was in that role for about three years was when I started to feel, you know, a little bit like what's next and, okay. and not in a bad way. So, but what's next? Right, right, right. So it's really cool. You have two years as a DA, then seven years as a hygiene, 10 years in management, and now eleven months with Correct. Uh, with Lightwave. That's a, such a short amount of time. It's been my whole life <laughs> since high right. school. It's just so incredible, yeah. like of all these things. Um, you know, one of the things you kept saying, uh, which is really, really important, is you always say yes. Mm-hmm. Is it something that that comes from your childhood? That came from um, someone I've met along the um, along the way in dental. That I noticed this person. At, the, I was in a group um, of other groups of dentist, dental offices that I would go to quarterly. And this person really exhibited that yes philosophy. And I noticed that and I asked, you know, um, you're always happy. You're always smiling. You're always willing. Tell me more. And that's where I came up with that. And I like to see what I like in others and then implement it. I call myself a chameleon in that. I'm constantly reinventing myself to be the best versions of other people that I see. Now, can I do that in everything? No, I'm not good at everything. But when it comes to emotional intelligence, I'm constantly watching. That's why I say smile, because people are watching you all the time and your body language speaks before you do. And so um, but I'm always I'm a why person. So I'm I'm very quick to give a compliment, but then also ask, how do you do that? Where did where do you get that? Where does that come from? So where does that come from? The, the being a chameleon? Uh, asking why. Oh. Were you always the curious kid? My husband would say it drives him nuts. As long as I understand why, you can move me. I'm not going to move just because you said move. Well, I mean, if I have to, if I'm being paid. But if you really want my buy-in and the results that I will bring from my buy-in, you've got to explain the why to me. And that's true personally and professionally. So my husband does slow down and explain why we're going to make this financial investment or why we need to go, you know, on this trip. There's always a why behind everything I do. And if it's a worthy enough why, then you've got my buy-in. That's incredible. What, what do you think happens in the mind of a dental assistant that 
people and especially doctors and everybody else are struggling to get dental assistance uh, to buy into or have accountability? I've gotten to see a lot of, uh, I think I know where you're going with this. Um, my little sister ended up following in my footsteps with the same company. She became a dental assistant and now she just graduated from hygiene four years in. And I mentored her along the way very closely. Again, I was her boss, but I'm not directly. She had, you know, a practice manager. So she would call me in mm -hmm. tears occasionally when she felt like she was the only one doing, you know, some of the work closing the rooms, sterilization. She felt like, you know, she was always working really, really hard and she would get defeated and, and feel like that maybe she wasn't getting the credit due. And I told her in that moment when she called me, I said, every time you see an opportunity to do more, do more. Because whether you think people are watching or not, they are. And the ones that are standing back or slacking and you think they might be getting you know more credit than they deserve, don't worry about that. It always works out in the end for the people that are willing to give more than everybody else. That's where the opportunities really lie. And that's honestly where I built my career from was other people doing just enough to get by. I always wanted to do above and beyond to the example of laying the gloves out. I mean, that was a really profound moment when my boss right, said, that's a powerful example. Yeah. you're the only person that does that. And it makes such a difference for me. And then I thought, well, what else can I do? Because I'm also words of affirmation. I like to hear when someone thinks that I'm doing well, just like I like to give compliments and praise my team as well. So, right. I just feel like it's, it's really fascinating. Every time I go um, and visit our offices, even yesterday, we went to see one of our offices and the two problems that, that every office will face is systems and accountability. Mm -hmm. Systems and accountability. Mm -hmm. It just, it goes hand in hand. And to me, if you don't have the systems, you probably will not get accountability. 100%. And it's just so fascinating that we're, by default, we are so fast to jump on this train to blame dental assistants and say, you know, they just don't get it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, and I don't know if you would agree with that, but I have a feeling you would, is it's not, yeah, they're bad actors. Yes, they're bad apples. Like we've all seen sure. people that just stand just a paycheck common, mm -hmm. right? They will hold a mug of coffee and stand and just say, yeah, you should do that. And you should do that. And, and the question is why you're not doing this. Well, I've been here for 15 years, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, cool. Fantastic. But most people I believe are just amazing. And when I talk to dental assistants, you know, and I remember one time I went to an office and I literally counted every single step that a dental assistant would do during the day. I, I followed them with a piece of paper Million. and you open the cabinet, take the tray out, close the cabinet. That's one, put the tray on the countertop. That's two, put something on a countertop. That's three. So I ended up with something like 3,750 wow. things or steps that a dental assistant would do per day. Mm -hmm. That would just explode my mind. Mm -hmm. And, and I want to probably just go back to the same things you already said, but from your point of view, Where's the mistake? Where's the problem that dentists or or the 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 misstep that dentists or office managers do that they can't get the buy-in of the dental assistant? Where do they make a mistake? I would blame the leadership on that, honestly. Um, if you if you're not willing to have hard conversations with team members about what you expect, you know, meetings, and then hold accountable, um, you're not you you can blame the dental assistant all you want to, but you are their leader, you are paying their paycheck, 
and if you are expressing it in a way and getting their buy-in. Again, why are we doing this? I believe that makes all the difference. If you just tell them to do 15 steps, but they don't understand the big picture, then it really, they're not, there's no passion behind it. There's no drive and they usually don't remember it. But when it's explained with a good, strong why, and then that we do expect this, this is, you know, how we're going to move forward with our system. And then this is how we're going to hold you accountable. I have had very good success holding people accountable, but the system had to be in place first. And not the whining and complaining and constantly, you know, oh, I wish they would do this. Or, oh, Sally won't do that. That, that doesn't work. Holding them accountable means, you know, when you walk into the room, my boss trained my the team before I was in leadership. I, I had a, an amazing mentor, Dr. David Northcutt. I give him all of the credit for the person I am today when it comes to my leadership because he was strong with accountability. He was very consistent. And if he walked into a room and you didn't have the x-ray up and the chart note, everything had to be just right. He would start to walk in and he would walk right back, right back out. And he would not even tell you what you missed, but you knew that was your cue. Crap. I didn't get it. So it was almost like a game. If he walked in, I was like, yes, but he, he built that structure of, we knew exactly what to do. Everything had a system, everything had structure. And then he held it accountable by not just going anyways. I didn't want him to walk out of my hygiene room. I had to get the next patient back or I didn't want him to walk out of my dental assistant room. That patient had already been waiting, but he, that's how he almost, it was like, it wasn't punishment, but it was like, I'm not going, you haven't finished your job. I can't do my job. And that's how we did it. Phenomenal. Um, I want to go to a little bit of career path. So a lot of times I feel like dental teams don't properly, I don't even want to say properly, but there's no clear path for dental assistant to see that this can become a career. Mm. I really, it really bothers me when I see dental assistant come and join a practice as just a step for the, whatever they're going to do next thing. Mm. Right. So, and I, and again, I don't blame them. I think it's the system. I think it's all of us Mm -hmm. that we don't provide the career path in a plain, simple English to a dentist and say, look, you can start as a sterilization tech, then you can move on to clinical, then you can move on to administrative, then you can become the director of back office operations and things like that. So there are plenty of opportunities. Where do you think, um, probably, probably, where do you think the problem is? Why there is no clear career path for dental assistant? Why do you think we have a hard time explaining to dental assistant what the career path is um, because you know we hear the stories how especially with COVID it got accelerated that dental assistants now went to become the flight attendants and mm-hmm. all the different careers nothing wrong with that I don't mm-hmm. but we have a huge shortage of dental assistants mm-hmm. I'd love to keep them in the field and Absolutely. make sure that every office has enough dental assistants mm-hmm. and a lot of times you talk to them and the pay is not there mm-hmm. and and not even the pay I think a good assistant will see if I got to do X, Y, and Z, I gonna, I'm going to grow into the next step. And the next step is a bigger pay. I just don't think they know that it's a career path. Sure. Maybe not at every office, is it? Some offices, you know, don't really promote internal growth. I think if you're wise, you will. If you want to really retain the best talent, you've got to have a pathway forward for those individuals. And in my experience some of my best leaders were from the dental assistant world because they knew operational efficiency, scheduling, patient care. 
And I think a lot of times managers come up from the front desk because they understand the business or the numbers. But I encouraged all of my office managers were hygienists, but they start as a dental assistant. They became a hygienist. Then they become then they would have to train at the front desk for six months to be able to be a practice manager. I wanted my managers to know every area of the business so that they couldn't so they could manage every area. And so as a dental assistant, I would say that if you aren't hungry for learning the other departments, if you're just staying in your world and not helping at the front desk when lunches happen or at the end of the day or trying to learn or fill in when someone's out, the more you can expand your knowledge of the whole office, the more likely and the better you would possibly be at being a manager. But because dental assistants sometimes stay so focused on dental assisting and think that's all that's there for them, they miss a huge opportunity by not asking, how can I help you know, the hygiene department? How can I help the front desk? And when you start doing those things and you gain knowledge that you're office really can't live without because then you become the person that can float anywhere in the office. And that is a step up from being just a dental assistant, you know, floating from department to department should be a raise, you know, that can become the coordinator of the office, clinical coordinator of the office. Again, not every um, office is structured that way, but if you go into an office that is growing, especially off with multi-site offices, the sky really is the limit if you are willing to not hold yourself back with your own thinking that I'm just a dental assistant. Right. That's always an issue. Um, can you give an example? So for example, if you and I would go into an office and we're in charge of implementing, um, let's just say infection control protocol. Mm -hmm. And you're and I are so passionate about it and we need to get the team on board. Mm -hmm. What would your why be? Can you give an example? Infection control is very important for disease. I mean, minimizing disease for them and for our patients. If we truly are in dentistry because we care about the people, and that's why I went into dentistry was to take care of people, be a provider of care, then I wanna take care of the people that come to see me. And having uh, that as the driver uh, in my thinking towards, how can I make sure this room is as good as I would want it for my child coming in or my husband? drove me to make sure that I was consistently providing the same level of care, which in turn made me want to, you know, focus more on, on that piece. Does that help? I think that's a, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's for me, yeah. that's how it, it worked. Obviously training, teaching, but the buy-in came from, why are we here? What are we doing? How would you treat your mom or your child? Mm-hmm. What would you recommend to a person that listens to this and they're like, I'm in the wrong office. We don't even have morning huddles. We don't know what we're doing. The doctor is always on the phone. I can't get a doctor to talk to me. Um, there are no clear instructions. I'm swimming in my own ocean of things that I need to do and without clear direction. And there are just all these expectations. And then all I get is a look from a doctor that's like, you're below some... Yeah. Level of standard. I don't know. The and doctor's unengaged. How do you get their attention? Even if you do everything I've just said. Yeah. I would say then you probably do want to find a doctor that's engaged because if you truly are a leader and want to grow, you need to be in a environment where that's going to be possible. I'm not saying that I haven't seen results from practice managers that have helped mentor get the buy-in of doctors that were unengaged, but to be a dental assistant and try to rise up in that setting is a little bit harder to do. I had the opportunity 
like I mentioned from my mentor of 21 years, that he was very focused, very orderly, and it was a safe environment for me to grow in and support and lead and ultimately grow his entire enterprise. Right. Which is fascinating. I mean, we all know doctors, right? And there are some that, I mean, there are type A by the nature, uh, just because it's dentistry. They they know what they want. They, they're they clinically driven. A lot of them are just excellent clinicians. But when it comes to communication skills, not all of them have it. I don't get taught business and, in, in school, right? I mean. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And by nature, they would much rather go and clean i mean read the studies of certain procedures and things like that versus talking to a team and trying to inspire the team and talk to the team mm -hmm. uh, what would be your recommendation to the doctors again with smiling your team is watching you you're either a positive influence and a positive leader and they're going to mimic the things that you do just like i mimicked my great leader um if you're not setting the example then how can you expect them to do much more? And so I would really encourage doctors that really probably are burned out. I mean, I have led a lot of doctors and I know a lot of doctors and dentistry gets mundane and boring and patients are needy and demanding and not easily satisfied. With PPO dentistry, we've had to triple the amount of patients we see to actually be able to pay paychecks. I understand all of that, but that also comes at a cost to the mental health and the work-life balance of a dentist. But if you truly want to recreate your destiny or your office, it starts with you. You have to decide, you have to make the decision that you're going to smile, that you're going to start having a morning huddle, whatever that looks like, but be consistent. Your team needs you to be consistent for you to get results. Otherwise you will continue to blame your assistants and the people around you for getting results. But I would say it's all on the doctor as the leader. Why do you think people don't do morning huddles? I still have offices that don't do morning huddles, believe it or not. I don't know. I, I've never lived in a world that didn't have one of those. <laughs> I even have in my own workspace working from home. I still have my morning brain dump. What am I going to accomplish? What's the most important thing? That's how I get results. I don't know how an office is successful. And I would argue that they could be even more successful if they did. Um, and they don't have to. I think sometimes it's like, I don't know what we would discuss or I don't know. You know, like maybe there's bad attitudes in the office and you really just don't want to look at those brownie faces in the morning. I don't know what it is, but um, setting goals in the morning huddles and challenging your team for, you know, anything you can do to get them excited about coming in for the day and high-fiving when they walk out and thanking them when, when they leave and not expecting that they have to work for you, but being thankful and grateful, it, it's, um, it's a game changer. Right. I want to record actually all the morning huddles that, that I go and see. But they're I, all I different. Still talk about, <laughs> oh my God, they're all different and they stand out. There are morning huddles that I go to and at the end, I can't wait to start my day. I listen to either a doctor or like an ad, uh, office manager or practice manager to talk about things. It's just fascenating. You, you know, can like see good leadership. People have a gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would love to hear a couple and, of those because I'm always on the hunt for that too for great right. morning huddles I'll, yeah i'll record actually please i do want to record these morning huddles and and sometimes i do wonder this is not a question but maybe you and i can elaborate on this you see some doctors like i have this one doctor in tucson arizona his morning huddles are out of control like 
he will get people fired up on a daily basis, right? And I just love seeing that. I bet they have and great results. To me, the, <laughs> to me, it's a gift, right? Mm -hmm. And then you go to some offices where doctor is self-aware enough knowing that he or she can't do that. And they have a practice administrator doing that, getting everybody fired up. Mm -hmm. And then you go to some offices where the doctors are not self-aware. They're doing a morning huddle, but it's like pulling teeth, right? It's like, oh my God, when is this thing going to end? You said it's five minutes. It's three minutes. I can't wait for this thing to end. Yes. I don't, again, it's not a question, but, but, but I'm sure you've seen all of it. It's just like, yes. what do you think? I would agree. Everything you just said, because I had multiple offices and I would show up occasionally to a morning huddle and gauge how the practice manager was handling the morning huddle and give guidance. Um, I got to see a little bit of all of those things. The ones that were the most impactful to me had, were structured, weren't just, you know, everybody kind of chattering, people bringing in their coffee. Like it wasn't really relaxed. Everybody was ready to get their day started and had a portion. It wasn't one person speaking. The best ones I've seen is someone from each department having to report on their department that kept everybody knowing their numbers of goals that they were trying to achieve instead of it just coming out of the mouth of the person that had to say it. Um, those were the best titles. And the ones that I think are a lot of fun are where you have a fun, we had fun coordinators at our office. So whoever we thought was the most fun got a little bump in pay to help us make sure things were fun. And that brought so much creativity. I'm not the most creative. I'm more of a disciplined structure. You can tell that about me, right? But I love people around me that bring fun and energy and ideas. And so I realized that's a weakness of mine. I need that position. So we had a fun coordinator at every office and they were in charge of special events for the office and morning huddle, fun, you know, weekly maybe they'd break dance or something. I don't know. It was just always right. the creativity that came from it was priceless. Right. That's amazing. So when you say that the best morning huddles are the ones that are structured, can you provide a quick structure of a good morning huddle? It really what does it take. Sure. Um, 10, really, you don't want it to be more than 10 minutes. Um, it can be pretty impactful in 10 minutes. And again, each department going through whatever their number is that they're focused on and giving a report of that as that's where I get the accountability for whatever we're working on is having someone else report on that and being, you know, bringing it to the meeting, um, going over yesterday's numbers, you know, did we hit our goal? Did we not, um, hygiene appointments? I'm passionate about hygiene, making sure our hygiene books are full. So each hygienist, um, had to come in the next morning and tell how many, how many hygiene appointments they reappointed. And it's quick. It sounds, I mean, everybody knew, everybody knew exactly what to do and it goes, but it brought accountability and nobody wanted to be the person that said, I only reappointed five of my 10 patients yesterday. I had great results from the, just those little things of people feeling like they were part of the bigger thing. Um, and then of course, on the day you look at holes and how can we get someone from doctor's side over to hygiene or hygiene to doctor, we would cross collaborate there to make sure we were being strategic with our scheduling. And, um, you know, where were, we, where were we for the month for our team goal? You know, we, where are we going to get our top bonus this month? And all of that was how I got the buy-in to make sure we were driving for results daily. But again, it, it really just comes down to whatever your goals are and then having others speak to what they're responsible for, for our results. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. What do you think is the best way or what have you seen really worked when doctors wanted to reward their team members? Mm -hmm. 
I'll tell a story. I was a hygienist at this point in my career, no leadership skills at all. And we were averaging about 100 new patients a month, which this was what, over 10 years ago. Whoa. 100 new patients a month for a 12 op practice. So we were always marketing and bringing in new patients, had a good brand, yes. So 100, we were pretty comfortable and confident to go 100. Well, this was before there was a manager. So my boss came in with checks written out to each one of the team members. There was probably eight of us on the team at that point, maybe 10, and handed us all an envelope with a check in it. And he, it was sealed. And he said, I want you to, and we're kind of looking, it's morning huddle. We're like, it's not payday. Why are we getting a check? We just thought, well, this is strange. He says, open, open it up. It was a $500 check inside. And he said, and signed made out to me and every person on the team. And he said, if we double our new patients this month, you can take this to the bank on the first of the next month. So on the first of the month, he came in with this check and we had till the, you know, the end of the month to hit that goal. And if he had come in there and said, we need to, I want to see us double our new patients. We, I, I pretty much in my mind thought that's impossible. There's no way we can't do that. But paired with, here's the check. You can have it. It's yours. If your hands. Yeah, exactly. That was very impactful for me. That brought all kinds of ideas for me to get buy-in from team members, um, getting them around a goal. You can see amazing results if you'll just if you'll just find the right um, way to deliver. You know, we it we ended up hitting two hundred and ten new patients that month. And now, did we do that every month from there? No, of course we were. You know, calling our cousins and aunts. Of course, you know we were bringing people in, but it drove production because obviously new patients, right? We doubled our new patients. It more than covered the amount of those checks, and it helped our whole quarter to be stronger because he saw a way to get us motivated. Without our help, right? We would have done the same thing we'd always done and just gotten a hundred patients. And sorry, we didn't hit our goal this week, doctor, or this this quarter, doctor, or whatever. So, right. Um, it was so, so strategic that I was like, this is how you move people. This is how you get buy-in. How can I tap into that on everything I do? Exactly. Wow. Just having the physical check in your hand. That I'm telling you it, every, from that to being able to, we all went on our lunch break to cash the check together and we all went to lunch to celebrate. And it was not only did we gain $500 from that, we bonded as a team because we had to. We could not have seen that many more new patients if we weren't all saying yes, working together and being creative. I mean, we did work through lunch a few days because we we know exactly whose idea it was, but we decided if we're going to hit this goal, we don't have any more room for new patients, we can work through lunch. <laughs> and, and so we got super creative. And I, I love that story so much because that birthed in me a passion to want to see people reach goals that they had thought they never could. It did it for me. Right. How did that example inspire you to do something similar in your life? Or are there any examples of you taking similar approach now you being in charge of a lot of things? Sure. Um, an example um, with the hours that I mentioned, I think that was one of the, the biggest hurdles, I was so terrified because I loved my team of 150. Now I had a lot of team members and to think about changing the hours, I know because I've been in their shoes, how scary that could be. So that for me was a huge undertaking and responsibility and stress load on me that I needed to bring a package that worked for my boss, but also worked for my team. And I spent 
at least six months studying other models, going around, visited offices, studied models. And I, I didn't just pick one off the shelf. I looked at all of them and picked the best parts of them based on if I was going to have to do it myself. And I ended up wanting that schedule <laughs> that I built because it was, you know, um, it really was good for working moms if you, you know, had child help support and things like that. But I was also able to find ways to keep some of those team members from from having to do those hours that were moms without, you know, help. We had, you know, some people that were working regular hours and kind of between the two shifts to keep the communication going. So all of that, I had such a small amount of people leave over the hours and then more people wanting them that that really gave me the confidence of if I if I really want um, to bring results, I'm going to have to put in the hard work and make sure that it's something that really does make sense for them too. And it's not just for, you know, the bottom line or driving production. Our need to do it was more for, we had so many patients, we couldn't see them all. And so we needed to expand our hours and that was our why, not for more money. But in turn, we were able to produce more money, obviously. And our teams were still compensated and, and working less hours, 40 to 33. That was a win for them. Wow. That's fantastic. Is there anything in your life that you can look back in your short career? I, I keep looking back at the numbers. It's incredible. Is there anything that you can look back and say that there was something that you believed in and everybody else thought that you were wrong? I'm trying to think of one thing that I believed in. You know, people around me could probably point that out better than I can, because unfortunately, I'm in the trenches of my life where you're taking a bigger look at it. Um, I think for me, realizing and seeing the results of the hard work, that there really is no limit to what you can accomplish, but you have to be. You have to be focused on a goal. I see so many people that end up hopping from job to job, hopping from position to position or field to field, and they never really master anything. They can do everything good, but they don't master anything because they give up on it or they move on too quickly. And if I can think of one thing that has really been the driver for me is sticking with dentistry. Dentistry has always been, you know, from start to finish, no matter how many times I've reinvented myself, dentistry. So I am able to speak the language of dentistry at a mastery level. Um, and I've learned business along the way. So I think um, I can't really I can't really pinpoint one area, but sticking with it. Don't give up. Stick with it. Say yes. Smile. Your body language goes before you. Nobody wants to promote someone that looks like they just rolled out of bed and can't smile and has a bad attitude and gossips. Um, those are the people that you actually don't promote and you don't want to have any more influence or, or leadership. So I'm that when I'm looking to promote people within my organization or in my past, I'm looking first for a great attitude, which starts with a smile. It's amazing. Uh, probably. I don't know if you want to go there, but I'm always curious. The ambition. Growth, career growth. I think it always comes at the cost of the family. Mm -hmm. I mean, you mentioned that you had your first kid in high school and, you know, we didn't touch more on that, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just curious, all the growth that you had in success, did it come at any cost with your family? 
my daughter is now 23 or our daughter is now 23 and we have a 17 year old son and I'm proud of both of them. They're very independent because they, I wasn't able to be a hovering mom maybe so much, but the credit really goes to my husband. He saw in me that I had a huge opportunity um, of growth with, you know, the natural leadership that he called out in me in an early age that he really, instead of um, accelerating his, I would say business or his career, he helped support me to do that. So he was, I mean, he still provides a great living for our family. He's in sales. So he was much more flexible where I was having to spend longer hours and very focused. I wasn't able to call out and stay home with a sick child because I was a hygienist. You know, my patients needed me. So he was, he always has been the foundation of why I'm able to do what I do. If you don't have someone that is pushing you on towards your dreams and encouraging you and then helping to support all of the functions of the house, it really, it is, more challenging? Would it be impossible? No, but I would not want to do it without my husband's support because I do have to cry on his shoulder in these two year gaps, you know, as I'm continuing to stretch myself further in growth. Um, and he is an awesome, awesome support system. So I would say for two parents to be trying to accelerate their careers at the same speed, it probably would come at more of a detriment. But my husband had a very consistent job and has always been consistent in his career, hasn't had the two years all the time of change. He knows his field very well. He is the master of it. And he doesn't really want to be a leader. You know, he's happy being in sales. He's good at it. And so he's able to be much more flexible with his schedule and taking care of the house and things like that. Yeah. So if somebody is on that path of, of growth and they want to balance it with the family and having kids and things like that, how what would you recommend? You're going to feel like a failure on whatever you're not focused on. I've really struggled in my life to be able to feel like I'm succeeding in all areas, which is spiritual, uh, physical, and um, uh, business and home, the four areas. If I'm like, succeeding in one, there's usually one that's like really failing. And I, I recognize that in my life, but I also have to rec recognize that there's seasons. And so for, se for a season, to your gaps, I usually do have to give a lot towards business to become the expert that I need to be to be able to do my job efficiently. And then I can focus more on, um, you know, the family. The work-life balance is really a falsity, I think. Um, there, there is no such thing as work-life balance as a leader. Um, I bring work home with me. My husband is my counselor sometimes. You know, we all need somebody. Um, but I think that we give up on a lot of opportunities because we feel like we're failing in other areas and that's natural and i, I might have gotten that from somebody recently I, I think at lightwave maybe that really helped me to see yes I, I do see that in my life where i you know i'm if i'm succeeding in one area i'm failing in another or do i feel like i'm failing in another even though i'm probably not failing i'm just not focused on it so it feels like it's failing does that make sense mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think it's always hard i mean we're all driven and we have the goals and what we want to accomplish. And a lot of times we get a bad rep. I even have once in a while a fight within my family, like in a good way, that I'm way too ambitious mm -hmm. and I have to slow down and enjoy it. They say smell the roses. Yes, you but sound like me. Point, a lot of times I, <laughs> right. And I say, you know what? Sometimes you got to uh, buy a ticket for an entry to smell the roses. You know, that's, <laughs> that's what I try to do to make sure you're all covered. Yeah. Know? 
Yeah. And so <clears throat> that ambition is very interesting. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and another part that I tell again within my family is, well, I'm born with it and it's not something that I can go. It's like a screw. I can take it out of my body and say, all right, I'm not ambitious anymore. This is it. Like I'm, I'm normal. Yes. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And, well said. And I do see it, it comes with a, with a cost mm-hmm. and, and I'm really curious how people navigate the life scenario. I do 100% agree with you that the home support is by far probably the most important mm-hmm. thing. I do see a lot of dentists fail in whatever we can call the failure, mm-hmm. but they do fail uh, primarily within their mental state mm-hmm. simply because they don't have the right support at home. Right. It's just, I see way too many times that, mm-hmm. that, that just um, destroys people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like this, this is incredible. What I hear you and your story, like I said, it's 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 fascinating. Would I don't want to dwell too much on this, but would you give any advice for people on their home front? Right, if somebody wants to, if listen to this and they say, "Wow, my gosh, like I want, I want to have a relationship like Kristen has." Mm-hmm. Would you give any advice? Mm-hmm. And by no means it's perfect, right? Like we all have our ups and downs. That what would be your advice? I've been asked that many times, obviously getting pregnant in high school and staying married through life um, to my best friend. And he's he's got an amazing character and he's an amazing man. So I realize that it takes two. Um, but the advice I give people on that is go above and beyond. Don't Don't wait to be served or don't wait for your spouse to do something for you do for them first. It goes back to my saying things at the office. Don't wait for somebody else to do the instruments. Be proactive. Do it first. I noticed that once I learned what his love language was, I don't know if you're familiar with the five love languages, but I studied that and it worked in our marriage. Um, And once I learned what his love language was, which was not mine, which is physical touch, not because I don't love him or anything like that. It's just not my love language. My love language is acts of service. He's never sexier than when he's sweeping the floors and he does it great. So to that point, if I wanted to get the floor swept, I needed to scratch his back, show him the touch, words of affirmation. And then naturally my floors are getting swept. I realized really quickly that that was brought way better impact and me saying, you never sweep the floors. I do everything. Right. I just went, well, that didn't work. Cause I did try that. That didn't work. I got less floor swept. And then I started, I think fireproof was another book that I read in marriage that, that gave me that idea of if I, my, if my love tank is empty, then I need to fill his. So he'll fill mine and don't wait for them to do it. Uh, last question. I promise. Uh, if, a younger version of you, if Kristen, who is just about to enter a career, listens to this, um, what are the books that you would recommend her to read? I'm glad you asked. Andy Andrews is one of a, a local author in Orange Beach, Alabama, which is where I live currently, but he's a national speaker and writer. And he honestly was the change that I needed as a leader to become a better, stronger leader. And I was reading him right when I got into leadership, not for leadership's sake. It really, it it was more for personal development, but it applied so well professionally. The the book is um, The Seven Decisions. There's seven points in there. One of them, I actually, I'm glad you asked, be responsible, seek wisdom, have a decided heart, 
Choose to be happy. Forgive. Persist without exception. And every point in that book expands on that. And I literally had flashcards. I I was breathing that stuff because I saw the impact it was having. So Andy Andrews, any of his books, he's all about perspective and perspective changed my life. Positive perspective or negative perspective, you can decide. So Seven Decisions by Andy Andrews. Any any other books? Um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I have it on um, just clip note audio now because I've read the book several times. Um, and then... And it's not manipulating people. I People get a bad rap out of the title when they see influence people. It has nothing no, to do with that. It's just being a better person. Yeah, it really is. Um, those are those are two of my favorites. I mean, of course, I could name off all the ones that everybody else names, but right. for sure, those two have, have been the books that I keep coming back to, and I keep wanting to make sure that I'm living those things out. Oh, good. I enjoyed it. Thank you for letting me tell my yeah, story. This is amazing. Yeah, this is great. I really hope people will resonate and hopefully there's one or two people that would listen to this that are in a similar career path that will be able to soak everything that you said and and, and improve their career. And I, I don't know, who knows, maybe in 10 years, somebody will walk up to you and say, I listened to that interview and you changed my life. So that would be incredible if that happened. And if anyone reaches out to you and would like to just give me their scenario and get my perspective, I'm happy to, you know, take a phone call or Anything I can do to help others continue to be the best version of themselves and grow. I, I like to call myself a gardener. I like, I like, you know, I like to plant gardens of people and watch them grow. It's, it's my passion. So right. I'm happy to help however I can.